Well, it's good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church on this Sunday morning. And uh, before we get started, remember Wayne's sister, Martha Roberts, in your prayers. She has cancer. I also remember my cousin, Angela Bowman, in your prayers. Uh, remember all these that are sick right now uh, that we've you know been praying for. And, and uh, just remember these requests today. Uh, pray for me as I preach this morning. And uh, does anybody have any prayer requests? Well, remember these and uh, we'll pray after we uh, read the scripture. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning, Lord willing, on this continuation of our Gospel of John sermon series. This is part number 25. And we've titled the message this morning, Healing at the Pool of Bethesda. John chapter 5. <clears throat> and here the Bible says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto you, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Father, we... Thank you for the reading of the word this morning. I'm praying now that you help us. May you be glorified. Lord, remember these requests. May we remember them and, and petition you on their behalf, God. You know each one what their need is. The Father, help us now as we preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we don't know how long Jesus remained in Galilee. Uh, last week, remember, he was over in Galilee and uh, was teaching and, and things. In healing, he healed the the man's um, daughter, and uh, so there was a, a lot of um, a lot of things that Jesus was doing in Galilee. 
And but now he's returning back to Jerusalem. He seems like he just left there, but some time obviously has passed. In, in fact, enough time. Remember when he was in Jerusalem last time was in the Passover, and now he's going back because there is a feast of the Jews. It says after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in all other cases, when John mentions a feast in the Gospel of, of John, he always tells us which feast it is. He don't hear. So we don't know which one it is. Is it the Passover? Is it Pentecost? Is it the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles? Or what is it? We don't know. Doesn't matter. That's not the important part here. Uh, John is just letting us know that this is a very busy time of year for the Jews. And because it's a feast time, there would be a lot of people present. And we can only imagine how this is going to compound the problems for this impotent man uh, here at the pool waiting to be healed, needing to get in, and all these people now are, are in the way and have been that way for many years. And so look at verse 2. It says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, the sheep market is the same area where the sheep gate is mentioned over in uh, Nehemiah 3 and 1. It talks about the sheep gate. Now, this is a place where they would have kept the animals that were going to be sacrificed. So this is going to be pretty near the, the temple and things, but this, uh, this uh, uh, pool here is uh, near this, this gate. So the sheep market. Now, the pool, from everything I've studied about it, uh, it appears to be in the place where they would wash the sheep before they would sacrifice them. Remember, uh, an animal sacrifice had to be unblemished, unspotted, had to be perfect. And so, of course, if the animals are going to be corralled up out there in that, that kind of uh, area, they're going to get dirty, and so they would wash them. Uh, some historians believe that even unclean people were washed in there before they would enter into the temple. Either way, by, by this time, it has become known as a place to receive healing. And it only happened on a season. What season? Don't know. Whatever season this feast is. So, is it around Pentecost? Could be. Could it be, you know, whatever, Passover? Could be. But that it's at Bethesda. That word Bethesda means the house of mercy. That's what that means. And that's suitable, considering the people come there to get mercy for their ailments or whatever is uh, their problem is. Now, something else that's interesting to note, for centuries, uh, people doubted this was an actual true account. They said this was just an allegory or, or some kind of, uh, sort of like a parable that was told, uh, stating it was symbolic and was just spiritualizing the text and such. Uh, one man even claimed that John made up five porches because that was unheard of. There was five porches. Uh, and uh, claims that he made this up to represent the five books of Moses. Now, in 1915, archaeologists were excavating over in Jerusalem, and guess what they discovered? They discovered a rectangular pool with a porch on each side and one porch splitting it down the middle, making a total of five porches. So, you know, history bears the fact the Bible is true. Uh, you can go online and pull up pictures of it today. I mean, it doesn't look like the, the ones you visualize this man laying there. I mean, it's, it's old. It's been had to dug up out from under the, the dirt and sand. And so, you know, it doesn't look the best, but uh, it is exactly what the Bible said it was. Now, these five porches, what they were, were covered, uh, you, you call them porticos, really is what they're 
called, and they would provide shade for people as they were down on the the step areas of around this pool. And if you know in that that area, the sun is very hot, and uh, without m many trees, especially in this type of area, getting shade is very important because they would have really been hot. But um, there may be been some significance in that number five. And you know I like to talk about Bible numerology and uh, such. Well, the number five represents some things in the Bible. It's usually spiritually symbolic of God's grace. Now, if anyone uh, sees the grace of God, it's, it's such as this man here that gets healed by the pool of Bethesda. But the number five is significant. In the tabernacle, God instructed Moses to place five curtains, five gold bars, five pillars, and five sockets. Uh, you know, we studied about that um, creating of the, of the temple and all that stuff for the, um, uh, the tabernacle in the, uh, the wilderness and all the instructions that God gave him. The altar was five cubits wide and five cubits long. The height of the court in the tabernacle was five cubits tall. David carried how many smooth stones? Five. It only took one, though, to bring the giant down. Five smooth stones. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Uh, the parable of the ten virgins, there were five wise ones and five foolish ones. Uh, the woman at the well that we just studied about, how many husbands did Jesus say she had? She had five husbands, and the one she was with now was not her husband. So uh, that number five comes to bear importance when you're reading the scripture, and we need to pay attention to things like that. I don't think it's a... You know, just a coincidence, or a coinky-dink, as some people say. It's not a coincidence that uh, these numbers are in there. They're important. Uh, I don't believe we need to place such importance on them as some of these end-of-times uh, so-called you know, tellers, uh, or uh, what do they, what they call themselves now? Prophets of the end of times. Yeah, we've seen a lot of those kooks come and go. Jehovah Witnesses are some of them. They predicted the end of times at least five or six times, and it's not happened. Uh, but we don't need to place that much importance on them, but we do need to, need to understand that God's put them in here for a reason. He could have just said, port, you know, um, uh, pool with some porches around it. But no, he points out there's five porches there. Anyway, so those are just some examples. So when it comes to this pool being a pool of healing, which is God's grace, then it's only suitable that it had five porches. Look at verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For the angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. All right, so some, some things to point out right here. Uh, we believe the King James Bible to be perfect, true, infallible, and uh, we don't see any mistakes in it or accidents or anything like that. Now, when it comes to this passage of Scripture, you're going to find these so-called Bible scholars, these you know professors of wizardry or whatever they are, they want to claim the King James Bible is wrong here, that this got interjected because it's not in the best and the oldest manuscripts. And so if you get any other Bible version besides the King James, you're going to find that some of these verses are left out. The part about the angel coming down and stirring the water, they claim that somebody added that in there, that it wasn't the true word of God. And so you're not going to find it in your ESV or NIV or NASB or any of those things. If you do, it's going to be down in the notes, down at the bottom, some, you know, 
text have this or whatever. But lying all over these five porches were multitudes of sick people. As I said at the beginning, this is a feast time for the Jews. And so lots of people come. You can only imagine people, uh, how many people we know that are sick and have problems and can't be healed from them. Imagine in that day when they didn't have medicine and doctors like we have today. There was all kinds of sick people, and they had diseases over there that we don't see over here. A lot of bad eye diseases because of uh, the sand that blows around and, and, and things like that. And so you can only imagine there were many, many people, and in fact, that's what the Bible says there, uh, that the great multitude of impotent folks, as one preacher that we used to listen to said, impotent folks. Uh, but this is impotent folks, meaning they have a problem. And um, uh, so we don't know what all there is. The Bible tells us that blind, halt, withered, these are representative of something. And so I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but as we look at this account, we're going to look at some typology, not only numerology, but typologies that we find in this account of this healing. And the first thing that we notice here, these are... These diseased people represent the lost. That's what they represent, the lost world. Because we are all diseased. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So everyone that has sinned, is their destiny is hell. They, they're diseased. We have a rotten cancer that was passed on to us from Adam, the first uh, sinner. And so these people, they're laying there, they represent uh, sinners. Now, the Bible says that they were laying around waiting for the water to be troubled. And that seems, uh, on an occasion, this season, the Bible says, whatever it was, that this angel comes and stirs up the water. Now, I've always pictured in my mind this angel coming down and spinning around like those things uh, the girls used to have. What were they? Uh, you pull them. The sky dancers. <laughs> That's kind of what I, I, I envision in my mind of this angel coming down like a skydancer doing that water. I don't know. Uh, he might have come down with both hands. I don't know. Maybe I don't know how it happened. And so you can only imagine things. But whatever happened on this season, an angel would come down, stir the waters. And it wasn't on a daily basis or weekly, but a certain season. Uh, and it must have been around this certain feast season. So don't know what when it was. But whenever the people would see the water stirred, I don't know if they actually saw, visually saw the angel or just understood it was an angel doing it. Probably, that's what it was. Uh, but the water would start stirring. Now, it might have been boiling up or swirling around or whatever it was. The, it normally would have been just still water, and suddenly it starts churning. Things start happening. People know this is the time. And so this stirring of the waters, I believe, represents the Holy Ghost as he stirs the hearts of men and women. Uh, he is the one that convicts us and convinces us of our sin, that we're a sinner that needs to be saved. And so I believe this stirring of the water most likely represents uh, the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Now this is another reason some of these so-called Bible scholars claim this is just a type of parable or something because his name's not given. A certain man. Not the centurion or this or that or uh, a Lazarus as we read about. But uh, this is a certain man. Now, the certain man, as I've always said, a certain man can represent all of us, any of us. So why put a name on it when this man could represent all of mankind, every sinner on this earth, a certain man. I was a certain man one time. 
when the Lord came and saved me. You were a certain woman. If you're a woman, when you got saved, you were a certain woman. But this certain man, the Bible says, had an infirmity. And not only did he have it now, but he's had it for 38 years. So how old do you think he is? I don't know how old he is. He's over 38. And uh, he's done something. The Bible shows us because Jesus told him you know, not to sin anymore or something worse would happen. And so he was probably of some age when whatever the sin was committed that uh, caused this to happen, he's an older guy. I don't know. He could be in his 40s, 50s, 60s. Who knows? But he's been there at least, and this infirmity's been around for 38 years. And I believe this man represents the whosoever. So, us. He represents the whosoever. All right, verse 6, the Bible says, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he'd been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? All right, so... First of all, Jesus asked a question that to us seems, well, that's obvious, isn't it, Lord? I mean, the guy's laying there. He's lame. He's waiting on the water to be stirred so he can get in it. Why would you ask him if he wants to be made whole? And so most of us would say, well, duh. I mean, why do you think I'm laying here? You know? No, I don't want to be healed. It's kind of like that. Here's your sign, you know? Uh, but this man wasn't able to walk. And he had to rely upon the mercy of other people. If he was going to get in that water, somebody's going to have to help him. But no man would help him. Like I said, we don't know how long he's been this way. or We know he's been that way 38 years. Don't know how long he's been laying here. Uh, has he laid there 38 years? I d doubt it. I mean, that's a long time to, to wait. I believe after about, I don't know, five years or so, when you see you're not going to be able to get in, you're going to say, this is not going to work. <laughs> So I'm just going to give up because why else would this man go to such trouble 38 years? So I don't believe he's been there at the pool 38 years. Uh, if I was guessing, I'd just say it was he was there for a few years and hoping that this is going to be the year that, that it happens for him. And so this question Jesus asked him, uh, I believe that's a representation of his calling of people to receive his free gift of salvation. So the question is to the world, to the law center, would you be saved? Would you receive Christ as your Savior? Would you accept the gospel? Well, you either accept it or you don't. That's the thing about whosoever and, and free will. You know, I do believe that there's free will of man to accept or reject. I do believe, though, that it's God is the one that puts that within you. And so... Uh, I believe Jesus asked this man because, you know what? Not everybody really wants to be healed. Not everybody really wants it. You know, um, I see that a lot. Um, so, look at, let's look at verse 7 first before I get any further with that. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So, this man, he doesn't really answer Jesus, you know, straight out. He don't say yes. I mean, wouldn't that be the obvious answer? Will thou be made whole? Yes. No, he goes all in this big, long story about all this. Well, sir, I have no man. When the water's troubled to put me in the pool, while I'm coming, somebody else comes. He steps in front of me. And so, you know, I, I just can't do it. Yeah. And so he doesn't ever say yes. <laughs> 
And so he goes this long explanation of why he isn't healed. It's almost as if he had memorized this speech and was waiting for this opportunity to say to someone all this, you know. Uh, I see that, seen this a lot when my, our office was in downtown Knoxville, and I would go out on, uh, what was it called, Market Square. Uh, that was right behind our building. I'd walk down the, or get down the elevator, walk out the door, and I'm on Market Square. Market Square is just a, a large amount of people because there's stores all in that square, and that's where a lot of the homeless people would go on every day so they could sit on the benches or the ground or whatever it was begging for money. And so if I went out to lunch, there was there were several places there to eat at, restaurants there, and I would pass by numerous homeless people. And, you know, I'd see the same people every day. I'd hear the same stories every day, you know. Uh, you know, can you spare some money because you know, I lost my job or, you know, this or that, or I'm trying to get to this place and that. You know, they'll say all kinds of things to try to get money. And uh, play on your, um, you know, conscience and whatever. Uh, but they have a lot of great problems in their life, and instead of finding the solution for the problem, they blame everybody else. They don't take responsibility. All they want's a handout, and so they've got this big story, you know. And so you may ask somebody, "Why are you out here?" And I've I've done that to them a lot of times. I said, "What what's your story? What did cause you to be this way?" Well, you know, I, you know, I moved down here from Ohio or wherever it was, you know, and uh, I lost my job and then I got stranded and then I lost my car and I got, yeah, I've heard all kinds of things. And, you know, I feel for those kind of people. And that may have been the case. That may have truly been what caused them to get in that condition to begin with. But to remain in that condition for years and years and years and go back, it was in 1972, but, you know, listen now, there's been a lot of years passed between now and then. I believe you could have, you know, bettered yourself. And so a lot of people don't really want to be healed. They don't really want to make things whole. They want to remain in the condition they're in, rely on the mercy of other people, holding their hands out, don't want to work, don't want to do this, don't want to do that. But yet they want to sit there and act pitiful. And so, you know, a lot of people would rather bum money than to make the efforts to get themselves better and find a job and be responsible. He could have been that way. I don't know. Notice also that he wants to blame other people for why he isn't healed. He said, I have no man to put me into the pool and others step it down before me. Uh, he may not want to give himself the responsibility. He wants somebody else to do it for him. So instead of me putting forth the effort to get down there, I am expecting someone to have enough mercy upon me to pick me up and take me and put me in that pool. Um, look, in fact, if you skip down to verse 14, you'll see the reason he's in the predicament is because of some kind of sin he committed. Because Jesus says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Now listen, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself blaming everyone else for your sin. You'll blame it on your mama, your daddy, you know, your, how you were raised, this and that. My dad beat me. My mama didn't love me. I was mistreated. I got made fun of in school. You know, all this stuff. And the list goes on and on. The truth is when people are confronted with their sins, they don't want to take responsibility. But there's two choices. You acknowledge your sin and you seek forgiveness. You repent of them and get forgiveness. Or you blame somebody else, or blame society, blame 
the, the place you were born in. Blame the place you're living in. Blame everything. And don't take responsibility. So I believe this represents the decision of the lost sinner. Are you going to take responsibility for your sin, repent of it, receive Christ as your Savior, and make things right? Or are you going to keep on sinning, blaming someone else for your sin? Well, the reason I drink is because I was mistreated when I was a kid. Or my daddy was a drunk, so I'm a drunk. You know? well, my daddy was a school teacher. I'm not a school teacher. <laughs> so there's two things you can do. You can take responsibility for your sin, repent of it, receive Christ. Or you can keep on blaming everybody else, don't take responsibility, and you can die and go to hell. Well, perhaps we have it all wrong. Maybe he really did want to be healed, and maybe nobody in that area had any mercy at all. Maybe everybody else desired to be healed was so great that they could care less about this bum laying here that couldn't walk. Uh, I don't know. And so, even, but you know, even in today's wicked society, you will find that people have compassion on other people. In most cases, now, I know there's a lot of evil, rotten, terrible people out there that could care less about people. But most people, they'll have some mercy. If they see somebody in need, they don't just walk by them and pretend they didn't see them. Most people will try to help, try to you know, give them some kind of comfort. You'd think eventually somebody would say, you know what, this poor guy's been laying here for many years. Every time I come out here, this guy's laying here. You know, and obviously he can't get down to the water. Why don't we all join together and pick this guy up and put him in the water when we see it stirred? You would think that might have happened. Uh, so, I don't know. Imagine that you're this man. You're helpless. You can't stand. You can't walk. All you can do is lay on the ground. Maybe he's pulling himself around with his arms. I don't know how he got there. He has a bed with him. When we think of bed, we think of a big mattress. It wasn't a big mattress. It was some kind of small pallet thing. You know, probably some kind of blanket or something that he'd carry it around with him and uh, would lay it, lay it down or spread it out and crawl over on top of it or whatever he had to do. Uh, but he can't walk. And so, you know, how did he even get down there to, to begin with? But uh, he's the way this pool is designed, you would have to go down the steps to even get to the water. I wonder why he couldn't lay on the last step and roll in when it happened. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was forbidden. <laughs> Maybe there were people there that wouldn't allow people to go that far down. Maybe they had to stay up at the top. I don't know, but whatever it is, he's unable to get into the water. Uh, and don't forget, the Bible says there was a great multitude of these impotent folks. Hundreds, possibly thousands may have been there. He may not could have got through the crowd. You know what it's like to get in a great crowd. Even if you can walk, you can't hardly move. And so here, here he is. There's a better chance of this man being struck by lightning than to be able to get into that pool. All right, look at verse 8. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. Stop there. Why didn't Jesus say, Okay, well, let me help you out here. When, when that water stirs, I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to take you and throw you in that pool. Why didn't you do that? He he could have commanded the angel to come down and, you know, get this thing started now. He could have said, come on down here and get that water started. Put the guy in there. After all, that's what the man was expecting, wasn't it? He expected to be healed by some kind of supernatural power that this angel has caused to this water. So there could be this little, this, this, uh, there was a lot of superstition in that day. 
a lot of people, especially in that Roman culture, where they had all these gods and goddesses and, and all these things like that, this could have been a little bit of superstition on this man's behalf, expecting a certain thing from a certain event to be healed and not looking or thinking outside of that. Uh, sometimes we get in our own little box and we can't see outside of it. We, we get our eyes focused. Uh, Papa used to have those horses and mules that uh, he plowed with. He put these blinders on. These blinders covered the sides of their eyes. So the only thing the mule could see is right smack dab in front of them. Now, what that, the reason for that was in case there was a distraction and the mule saw it and then he would move and then the plow would go out of the row. So if you keep the blinders on, all the mule can see is this part right here. That's all he can see. He can't see nothing on the sides. It's like this. And sometimes we get ourselves in blinders where all we can think about, all we can see, all we can reason within our mind is one certain thing, and we fail to look outside of that. This could be this man's problem. Now, in today's culture like we live in, so-called preachers, they would have told this man at first what he needed to do is follow these steps. I have a best-selling book called Seven Steps for a Better Bethesda. You need to read my book, and then at the end of it, you'll find out the true key to unlocking the problem with you. Uh, he would need to sign up for some kind of 12-week seminar or course that goes along with the book, and maybe attend one of these life-changing seminars that this author has. And that's what a lot of people cling to today, is some kind of man's thoughts, man's ideas, man's books, man's theology, thinking that is the answer they're looking for when it's the furthest thing from the truth. You're not going to find any truth outside of God's word and outside of God's work. The answer for this man's problem is the answer for all of our problems, and the simple thing is to obey the word of the Lord. Place your faith in him and him alone. That's the problem that everyone has. We don't need seven steps, three steps, five steps, six steps, whatever the steps they are. We don't need any of that junk. And I think it goes without saying, but this represents the sinner placing his faith in Christ and Christ alone. He has to make that decision. If you want to be made whole, you've got to place enough faith in me to be healed. Not this angel, not the water, not whatever the Romans have cooked up or whatever somebody else says, but you've got to trust in me. Look at the next part of verse 9. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. All right, now, this is where the trouble starts getting really bad uh, at the, or the, uh, the attempt to prosecute Jesus. Um, they have been looking at him all along. Remember, he left Jerusalem the first time because the heat was on. Uh, because of the things that was happening, and they were already looking into him and asking questions about him. And so he left that area and went to Galilee for, to keep that pressure away because it wasn't time yet. But now this right here is going to open up a whole new can of worms. He has healed this man on the Sabbath, caused the man to carry the, his bed on the Sabbath, which was forbidden by the law. And, but first of all, there is no law of Moses that said you couldn't carry your bed on the Sabbath. There's no law in there for the Jews. But the Pharisees themselves had created a law that they couldn't do that. And so they based law upon law 
upon the laws of Moses. They would add their own laws to it. And so they had these thousands of laws they created to keep the Jews in line. And that was their whole thing. They wanted to keep everybody in line, except themselves. But they wanted to keep everybody else in line, and so they made up all these laws, and one of these laws, obviously, was this man couldn't carry his bed on the Sabbath. All right, so uh, they took it to extreme. Now, Exodus 20, 8 through 11, says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So uh, they took that base, basic law about keeping the Sabbath holy and not working to saying you can't carry a bed on the Sabbath. Now, does that work? Really, is that work? You know, I can, you know, if I can pick up my, my phone right here. Did I just work? Well, the Pharisees would say I did. You can't carry that phone on the Sabbath. It's working. So that's kind of the silliness that we're seeing here. So forget all about the miracle of the healing of the impotent man. He's been lame for 38 years, not been able to walk or anything. Who cares? Sure, you know. Uh, but that's nothing compared to carrying his bed on the Sabbath. I can't believe he commits such abomination. Wow. Now we get kind of in the mindset of how the Pharisees thought. You know, they had no mercy. They had no grace. They had no love in their hearts. It reminds me of some preachers I've met. <laughs> so there's nothing here about, oh, thank God that... This man has been healed. What a miracle. We should praise God for this. Let's throw a celebration for what this man's done. No. And so I believe this represents the broken religious system. It was broken. Jesus' day, he hated the religion of, of the Jews in that day. He hated it. And so I believe this represents that broken religious system. We still have a broken religious system today. All right, look at verse 11, 11 through 13. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So this man didn't really have a full understanding of who Jesus was. He just knew some man come up to him and told him to get up, take his bed, and walk. And, you know, here, again, we find him blaming other people. You know, well, it's his fault that I picked up my bed because he told me to. He said to pick up the bed and walk. You know, kind of like, you know, nobody will put me in the water, you know. Woe is me. So he, but he had enough faith to obey and rise up and, and walk. He had enough faith in Jesus for that, even though he didn't fully understand who he was. He had some faith there that this would happen. And I believe that kind of represents our sanctification process. You know, um, sometimes we expect someone newly saved to know everything that we know that's been saved for years and years. Or to know the Bible this or to not do that because that's not how saved people act or something like that. But there is a sanctification process. Sure, we're sanctified immediately when we get saved. Uh, we're made whole. We could, we could die and go to heaven at that very second. 
But we still have that old man, that old flesh that gnaws at us, that battles the new man. And because of that, then we, we find that we must go through a sanctification process, one which we follow Christ on a daily basis. We walk like him and talk like him and act like him and think like him. That is our goal. And in that goal, we, be, we get sanctified. And so on a daily basis, we go through a sanctification process. Now, after you're saved, you start on this daily walk with Christ and in his ways, and that's also called being a disciple, you know, a follower of Christ. Now we see something very interesting. Look at verse 14. It says, Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Now, like we've already said, according to this verse, this man has suffered for 38 years because of some kind of sin he committed. We don't know what that sin was. We have no idea. But you can guarantee he was suffering from the repercussions of sin. You see, God does forgive sin. We, we can get cleansed from all unrighteousness. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that for sure. He forgives sin, but we still have to suffer the consequences of our actions, of our sins. Sin has repercussions. Now, just because you get saved don't mean that gets took away. The repercussion of dying and going to hell gets taken away but not the physical repercussions that's going, that's going to happen to you because of your sin. If you kill somebody, you're going to prison. God's not going to come down and say, you can't send him to prison, he's been saved. It doesn't work that way. You kill somebody, you're going to prison. You get saved in prison, you're going to remain in prison, even though you're saved. <laughs> so there's repercussions of sin. Christ don't take away your prison sentence, even if you get saved and ask forgiveness. Look at verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Now, the Jews have always been suspicious of Jesus. He's, been, he's acted funny ever since they've seen the guy. And so they've been suspicious. They've been looking for a reason to get rid of him, to question him, to uh, imprison him, whatever it was. They, they've been looking for this from the very beginning, keeping tabs on him. They probably had a secret agent, Pharisee, following Jesus around with a little tablet, writing down everything, you know. It took longer than that day. <laughs> but uh, they were watching him. They hated him. And the Bible says they persecuted him. To be persecuted means you've been treated unfairly by someone for a reason, for, un, for no reason. You persecute. All over this world, Christians are being persecuted simply because they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the jihads over there, they're trying to persecute anybody that claims to be a Christian. Why? Why do they care? <laughs> But here Jesus is being persecuted, and from this moment on, they want to kill him. That's what's on their mind right now. We've got to get rid of this guy. This guy is making us look bad. This guy is causing trouble. This guy is an outlaw. He's a rebel. Now let me ask you, will thou be made whole? You know, sometimes we don't want to be. 
We want to remain just like we are. Oh, Lord, I know that I've got this problem, but, you know, eventually, eventually, Lord, I'm going to get things straightened out. There's people, you know, that say, well, one of these days I'm going to get saved, but I've got a life to live. You know, my kind of lifestyle, it's not a Christian type of lifestyle, and I like it. While I'm young, I'm just going to keep it up. And eventually I'll get saved. I'll come to church and whatever. And so there's people like that today. But the gospel call is for whosoever. It doesn't say for that person that's got his life perfect and cleaned up and, you know, already walking in the right way. It doesn't say that. It's for whosoever. And if you're a whosoever, Jesus can save you, but you must be willing to receive him. This this impotent man must have been willing to receive the healing that Ryan from the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to receive a healing. And so he had enough faith Jesus could save him. He's willing to be uh, made whole. And so he accepted, he received the gift from Jesus. Jesus gave him a gift of, of uh, being cured, of being made whole. Jesus told him, you've been made whole. He didn't say you've been made half. He didn't say, I halfway cured you. Now, if you sin again, it's going to come back. <laughs> he said, you've been made whole. And from this moment on, sin no more. Because something even worse than that can happen. What was worse than this man for 38 years not being able to walk or do anything? How about death? It could have been a lot worse. And so Jesus warns him. Look, is it your plan to wait around for a, a later time? Perhaps the stirring of the waters before you get saved. Well, when I see a great miracle and I have without a doubt that there's proof of God, then I will get saved. Uh, you know, everyone wants to be saved. Nobody wants to go to hell. But, you know, not going to hell is just the benefit of being saved. That's not the whole purpose of being saved. What you're being saved from is your sins. You must be willing to be saved from your sins and not be so comfortable in them that you're unwilling to be saved or do you want to remain in them helpless hopeless an impotent man an impotent woman with no way to get out of your trouble are you going to be that person jesus says without be made whole without accept will you trust let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father god we come to you this morning thanking you for the message thank you for the truth that's in the scripture god thank you for the typology that we've seen god that to realize that there's nothing in the bible that is frivolous but god everything in here you've put in for a reason for a purpose for us to know you and god to know ourselves and to realize that we're nothing we're sinners god in need of salvation lord i'm praying for that one that may be listening today god that's unsaved maybe they're like the impotent man and they're blaming everyone else for their sin May they're putting it off, waiting for some kind of sign or symbol when, God, you're right there for them. Lord, I pray today is the day the Holy Spirit will stir the waters of their heart. God, make them realize that now is the time. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Help us, Father. Be a, a guide. Be a light. Be a city on a hill, God, shining out the love of Christ. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, anybody got anything in their heart before we dismiss? All right. All hearts and minds clear. 
Good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see you next time.